0: Well, if you're a visitor here with us, my name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here. We are glad to have you. Um, if you didn't get a welcome card, hopefully you will afterwards, and then exchange it for a book in the back. We're just glad that you're here visiting with us. Um, if you are wondering what are we doing as a church, we are currently finishing up. Actually, not finishing. We're in the middle of the book of Revelation. And for everyone else, turn over to Revelation 13. This will be old hat for you, but for visitors, this might be unusual. Because Revelation has all kinds of weird imagery and symbology and things like that. And we're just not familiar with apocalyptic often. But if you think of Revelation of this is not meant to make things foggy or meant to tantalize us or so we can try to figure out exact details of things. But Revelation, at the very beginning of the book of Revelation, it tells us what it's all about. It says this is a revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation is meant to show us who Jesus is. It's meant to show us his plan, the fact that he is the king, that, that he is currently ruling and reigning over all. He is the king, he has conquered, he is currently ruling, and he forever one day will reign. So that's kind of the whole idea of the book of Revelation. If you are new to it, if you're visiting visitor here with us, um, bear with us, but thank you for being here. I believe that Revelation speaks not just... Not just to the people of that day, but it speaks to us today. So let's go to God's word to hear what he has to say to us for today from Revelation chapter 13. This is God's holy inspired word. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads. With ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power, his throne, and his great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened his mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them, and authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb that was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive to captivity, he goes. If anyone is to be slain with a sword, with a sword, he must he be slain. Hear, hear is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth that had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it's allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth. Telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand on the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man, and his number is 666. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that enlightens, that illuminates, that makes clear. God, when we come to passages like this, Lord, we confess that we are often at a loss, and often we get lost in the weeds. God, I pray that would not be the case for us today, that... You would make things clear for us through your word, which is meant to reveal you. God, would you do what you desire to do through this passage, God? Would, would you use this passage to bring faith and hope in you, Father? Would you use this passage to encourage us this morning? And God, I pray that you would enable us to set aside any preconceived notions either way about this passage, Lord, that we we would set aside trying to figure out the details, and Lord, we would hear your intent for us today. God, we pray that your will would be done through your word, that you would be with us by your spirit. Your spirit is the one who who wrote your word, who commissioned the writing of your word, who who breathes life into your word. And I pray the Holy Spirit that you would fill us with yourself today to enable, to enable us to understand and apply your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me ask you a few questions at the beginning, and I want you to think about your answers. Don't say them out loud, um, but I want you to think about these things. So if you were able to pick one of the world's governments as the best, so if you could pick one of the world's governments as the best or as the best hope for mankind, what would it be? Please don't say it out loud. (laughs) If you were to pick one of the world's governments as the best or the best hope for mankind, what would it be? Keep that that answer in your head. If you could pick, another question, three questions for the beginning, if you could pick what is the world's best ideology, belief system that should inform and shape government or rulers, what is the world's best ideology that should inform or shape rulers? as the hope for mankind, what would it be? What is that ideology? What should that that governmental ideology be? Maybe you have things going through your head now. Lastly, if you could pick one world leader, if you could pick one world leader as the one who would be the best hope for mankind, who would it be? If you had a, a whole field to pick from and you looked across all the world of all the different world leaders out there today, and you were to pick one of the world's leaders, who would you pick as the best hope for mankind? I want you to think about Who did you choose? What did you choose the best government? What, what ideology did you think of? What, what world leader did you think could help mankind? These questions are not esoteric. They are important. They actually have bearing on our passage. How we answer questions like that, it's important. How we answer who we look to, what government we look to for help and for hope, how we answer who we look to, what system of ideology, what what system of thinking that we look to for hope, those make a difference. And you know what? Subtly, in our lives, we can often look to people and governments and ideologies for hope, right? Right? Let me ask you a little, another question. If you have read the news in the last month, anybody here read the news? You can answer this one. Anybody read the news in the last month? Don't tell me what you read. But anybody read the news in the last month? Okay, now I want to take a poll. I want everybody to answer, your question, answer this honestly. Have you been discouraged by anything in the news in the last month? Raise your hand. Okay. Have you found that your hope in government or a person or an ideology Has been tested or faltered in some way. You can put your hand up, it's okay. How we think about and how we answer these questions reveal things about us. It reveal things about our worldview and our view of God. It reveals things about us, about where we're looking to for hope, who we look to for hope. If we're disconcerted, if we're worried, if we're concerned, if we're shaken. If we're confused, when we see what goes on with the world's rulers, the government, and and different ideologies that you might subscribe to, if you see problems and troubles, and you are worried and concerned, it might be revelatory of who and where you're looking for hope. But you wouldn't be alone. The first century struggled with the same kind of things. It wasn't unique to them. The first century church, they struggled because they were living under the all-powerful, at least it seemed to them at the time, in Asia Minor, which this letter is written to seven different churches in Asia Minor. It's a little refresher for you because it's been a long time since we've been in this series. But they were living under the regime of the Roman Empire. And they experienced pressure to give in, to cave in to the will of the government. They, they experienced pressure to live in a way that was worshiping the emperor Not just figuratively, but actually in some of these cities that they lived in literally. They were encouraged to worship the emperor, and if they didn't, there was repercussions if they didn't do that. They were under pressure to conform to the ideology of the Roman Empire, to worship the Roman Emperor, to worship Rome. To defy Rome and the government or rulers, to worship Jesus as God. It could in that day, and it did result in death or at least persecution or severe difficulties today if you defy the world government if you defy rulers and you worship jesus as god and put that as first and foremost you will encounter some difficulties and challenges in how you interact with the world you will encounter difficulties and you will encounter persecution if you're truly living with your hope set on jesus Jesus, he revealed this vision to John to bring clarity. Now, I know that so often you read this thing and you're like, what in the world, this dragon and these beasts and what's up with this number stuff and like, are we trying to like add these numbers up and I'll get to that later? No, this is not like Gorbachev or Ronald Reagan or whoever you thought of in the 80s and you add all these numbers up and you do those weird math and stuff. That's not what this is about. This is to make things clear. And by the way, anybody ever done that weird stuff before? Like, you know, You can, oh, come on, raise your hand and acknowledge. Have you done any of that weird stuff like numbers and stuff and trying to figure, okay, I did when I was a kid. Um, But this chapter isn't given to confuse or make foggy. It's given to make things clear, to reveal things as they really are. Revelation is a pulling behind the curtain, really, of this world's government, the pulling behind of the curtain of this world's rulers and ideology, and say, here's what's really behind that, and what's behind the world's government, the world's rulers, the world's powers, what's behind the world's ideology, is really a beast, and behind the beast is the dragon. And if I was going to sum up this chapter's main idea, I think it would be something along these lines, at least, and you can write this down, it's... It's the best the world's powers have to offer, and there's a key there, the world's powers. The best the world's powers have to offer is the beast. That's what this passage is kind of showing us, the best this world's powers have to offer is the beast, but trusting in the power of the lamb is the best. The best the world's powers have to offer is the beast, but trusting in the power of the lamb is truly best. I think Jesus wants us to see something, that, that this world's powers are not our source of hope, that this world's rulers are not our source of hope, that the ideology of the world that promises hope and salvation is not where we're to look for hope and salvation. He, he revealed this passage, and I want you to look down your Bibles, look down at, i to find a verse here, actually. Great, look down in verse 8. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb that was slain will worship. But there's a counter to that. It's speaking to those whose name has been written in the book of life of the Lamb. And then look again what it's calling for. Look down your Bibles. What is it calling for? Here in verse 10, look at the end of verse 10. What's this passage all about, really? It's a call for the endurance and faith of the saints, and we're going to get into that. How do we see endurance, how call for the endurance of faith of the saints through these weird pictures? Well, God is making clear to us what really is, and what He wants us to do is to endure and to have faith in the fact that our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. But one of the first truths we come across right away that the revealing, the kind of the pulling back of the curtain, is the fact that the world's powers that promise salvation. Apart from God, they are the beast. That's what that's what Revelation, this past Revelation, is showing us. World's powers, they promise salvation. They promise hope. The world's authorities, the world's government, it promises salvation. Really, we've even had campaigns built on hope and you know other words that we use as Christians for where our true hope is. I'm not slamming any one political party. I'm not getting political here. What I'm saying is, any of the world's powers that promise salvation apart from God, they are. The beast, no matter where you fall on political spectrum, no matter where you are, if we're looking to the world's powers that prompt to promise salvation apart from God, it's the beast. Chapter 12, we saw that the devil was standing on the seashore, and that's... So often in ancient literature, the sea is seen as the source from which so much evil comes up from the depths, from the deep, the churning dark deep and evil comes out of the deep. And so you have this imagery of the devil kind of standing on the shore, overseeing the something that comes up out of the deep. And what comes up out of the deep in our passage is this beast, this beast that emanates from the depths that the devil is watching over. And we're not told who the beast is, and that's for a good reason. We're not meant to try to figure that out specifically oh is it beast this person that person this person that person no but i think we're we're meant to look and see okay you know there are many different occurrences here now ultimately i think this is probably speaking of the final beast who will rise and oppose god and his people but we're not meant to try to figure okay okay who is this exactly who was this in history who is this now now i think first john speaks to that first john 218 he says children it is Back then, 2,000 years ago, it is the last hour. And as you've heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it's the last hour. Are, are there specific beasts? Yes. Are there beasts in history? Yes. When John's time, yes. In history, yes. Are there will there be other iterations of that until you get to the final beast? Yes. But we're not meant to try to, like, that's not why this passage is here, to try to figure out all those things to say, hey, there will be a beast. But when they promise salvation, no matter when that occurs, in your lifetime, in John's lifetime, in the future, when they promise salvation and hope in, in themselves and in their leadership and their rulership, what it really is is that's the beast. And we're meant to see that. We're meant to see the beast behind the powers of the world. We're not meant to fear we're not meant to say, oh, you know, what's going to happen here? What we're, what we're supposed to see here is this gruesome and grotesque picture. The beast is meant to be gruesome and grotesque to us. We're not meant to try to actually picture it in our heads and like, what does that really look like? And then these these seven heads and these ten horns, and then how does that work? And then there's diadems, but the diadems aren't the heads. The diadems are on the horns. That's odd. And then there's like one mouth? What? How does that work? When, well, what we're meant to see is this grotesque representation of the devil on earth through worldly leaders. And it's probably representative of worldly government opposed to the church. Whenever you see horns in the book of Revelation, it is a sign of power or force. And so these governments rule through power, rule through might, rule through force. Different heads or different manifestations of the beast, likely different world leaders, different manifestations of the beast. The diadems, the authority, dominion, They're not put on the heads, but on the horns to show that dominion or reign is resting on power or force. And then we have these weird pictures. All these these heads have blasphemous names written on them. I mean, they declare things about God that are not true. They declare hope in places that lead us away from God, that lead people away from God. We have this picture in verse 2, if you look down there, if you have read the Old Testament at all, really this is some of the imagery of Daniel 7, all these different beasts in Daniel 7, all kind of combined into one. And so it's different forms probably of government, because in, in Daniel 7 this was different times or periods of the world's governments, and so this is kind of a putting together of all of these things, and there's this dominion and authority that comes from the dragon that the beast carries out on the earth. The beast receives its power, its rules, authority from the dragon. You know, they have different pictures here, like the leopard. Maybe it's meant to communicate swiftness, or the bear, it's meant to communicate strength, or The lion's mouth that's it's powerful to utter blasphemous words to, to devour and and kill. It's a grotesque picture. We're not trying to figure out what country, what kingdom of the past is different part of the beast. Who's the bear? It's not just Russia, okay, you know. the heads of the beast they probably represent different manifestations of the beast has seen different earthly kingdoms and rulers and in john's vision one of these manifestations of the beast seemed to have a mortal wound but the mortal wound was healed so i don't know if that's talking about a specific ruler if it's just talking about a form of government that it looked like it had died off and and now it's come back and it's recovered and it looks miraculous and it looks like this is the way to go this picture of the beast though is given to show that it's the counterfeit savior there's, there's so many things about it. So you, you have this imagery of the beast that's empowered by the dragon to speak the dragon's words. Well, Jesus came on earth to speak the very words of God. So this is the counterfeit to Christ, the beast is. Not only that, we see here that it counterfeits Christ and that this beast has a mortal wound and it's healed from it. Just like Jesus, the true lamb who was slain, was killed and resurrected to life again. And that's what the devil does. He always puts up a counterfeit salvation. The beast is a counterfeit salvation. Hope in the world's government says it's a counterfeit salvation. In all the world, they worship the dragon. Look in verse four. He gave authority to the beast. Now, I don't know if that's direct worship to the dragon, but they're worshiping the authority that is given by the dragon to the beast. And they give counterfeit worship. This In the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy, it says, who is like our God? And we see here, counterfeit worship, who's like the beast? Who is like this earthly ruler? Who is like this earthly kingdom? There's a lesson here to not give worship to any ruler, any form of government. It's hideous, this worship of the beast, and it's meant to seem hideous to us. Who's like the beast? We're meant to cringe, but you know what? Sometimes we can do that. We can actually end up worshiping and giving worship to worldly powers, worldly forms of government. We see this hideousness of who's like the beast and who can fight against it. And yet, we saw the answer already in Revelation 12 when Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and threw him down to the earth. The answer is already, we already have the answer, but the world's governments act like, the world's systems act like, the dragon acts like he's not been defeated. But who can fight against it? Oh, it's already been fought against and defeated. And yet, we hear this as if the government or world's powers or rulers are all powerful. And you ever tempted to feel that way? You ever tempted to worry when the government's having problems or different rulers around the world are fighting against God? What will happen? You ever wonder and worry? This passage is meant to give us hope in the middle of all of these things. We already know the answer the dragon has been thrown down, he's been defeated. And one day they'll finally be put down and put under. But in the meanwhile, when we see these different manifestations of the the beast, and we see these different manifestations in world governments and world rulers, we're not supposed to be surprised. Christian, you're not to be surprised when you see the world's powers and government and world leaders uttering blasphemies against God. It shouldn't be surprising. It shouldn't shake your faith. It shouldn't shake your confidence, your hope. Why? Because we have a lasting and a sure hope, and we'll get to that in a minute, We see in verse 6, it opens his mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling. And those, now look at that. Look at who the dwelling is. Look down at verse 6. I want you to see something in verse 6 that sometimes we can just skip over. We think it's blaspheming God and blaspheming his dwelling place. Well, look at who, at, at what his dwelling is. Revelation explains who God's dwelling place is. Those who dwell in heaven. And when Revelation uses that phrase, those who dwell in heaven, they're not talking about physically. They're talking about all those who are in Christ whose true dwelling place is in heaven, as in contrast to those whose true dwelling place is on the earth. And so we shouldn't be surprised when rulers of the world or world governments seem to be blaspheming God's people and saying things that are untrue about God and his people. It shouldn't shake our confidence. It shouldn't surprise us. The beasts in his heads, they're opposed to God and the people of God. Don't be surprised when the government or empires of the state or rulers are opposed to you. In the first century, there was a lot of pressure to give in, to obeying and, and offering divine honor to Caesar. But looking to the state as supreme, it would be supreme blasphemy. And that's what we're really seeing here is this It'd be supreme blasphemy to look to the state for our salvation, to the government, for rulers as our salvation, it is ultimate blasphemy. It's really the beast. And then we see in verses 11 to 18, we see something else here. We see that the world's ideologies, the world's systems of thought that promise salvation are the beast. You know, it's funny, I was thinking about actually going back to the first point for a second, I was thinking about how. So often throughout history, we've, mankind has looked to different governments for, for salvation. Anybody here remember something called the French Revolution? You ever heard of the French Revolution in history? I hope you have, right? The French Revolution. And you know, Americans generally look pretty favorably on the French Revolution, which is a little confusing. Um, I, I, I was reading an article about the French Revolution. Um, it was called Why Robespierre Chose Terror. It says, the American attitude towards French Revolution has generally been favorable, naturally enough for a nation self born in revolution, but as far as revolutions go, the French won in 1789 was among the worst. In the name of liberty, equality, and fraternity, it overthrew a corrupt regime, and that's true. Yet what these fine ideas led to was, first, the terror and mass murder in France, and then Napoleon and his wars, those were great, right? which took hundreds of thousands of lives in Europe and Russia. And then after that point, slaughter came the restoration of the same corrupt regime the Revelation overthrew. Aside from the immense suffering, the upheaval achieved nothing. That's what we get, really, when we put our hope into world systems, world governments, world leaders. We get people like Robespierre, overthrows the monarchy only to become a despot, Or get Napoleon who overthrows Robespierre only to become uh, an emperor who wages war on all of Europe. Not only that, the world's ideologies that promise salvation are the beast. The world's ideologies that promise salvation are the beast, but it is so easy to fall prey to looking for our hope in the ideologies of the world. You don't think that's true? How do you feel about democracy? Now, I love democracy in the sense that it enables us to be free, right now at least, until until our democratic republic votes otherwise, right? It it enables us to be free to worship God. There are wonderful benefits and freedoms that we have. I I love what we enjoy in this country, but don't fall prey to worshiping an ideology. Or maybe you're, you're thinking, you know what, the problem with the world is it's the system we have now. We really need another system. You know, like so many people today are crying for socialism. Or, you know what, the problem is, it's, it's all those things. What we really need is secularism, which is really just another religion in itself. But the world ideologies, they, they promise salvation. They're really the beasts. That's what this, this passage is saying. Let's looked down at verse 11. He says, "I saw another beast rising out of the earth that had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. What does it mean? It's speaking things like the devil speaks. Where does the devil say we should look for hope? Not to God. Anywhere else than God. Look in verse 12. It exercised all the authority of the first beast. So it is linked to that first beast, the, this world powers, the governments, this world authorities. It's, it exercises authority from the first beast and his presence. It says, it makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast. I think this is speaking about the, the ideologies, these beastly ideologies that come from the devil that point people to worship the systems of this world. It says it performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven and to earth in front of people. It promotes deceitful, devilish ideas that promote the beast. It's a false prophet of sorts. It speaks cleverly like a dragon. Well, this is not new. 2 Thessalonians, I want you to look at 2 Thessalonians 8. The Apostle Paul, he warned of a time like this, he says, And then the lawless one, the, the, the man of lawlessness, will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. So this is talking about a final person of lawlessness, a final beast, a, a final ideology that will prop up against God, but yet Jesus will put it down. Yet we shouldn't be surprised. Look in verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false, in order that it all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You see, it's the ideologies that Thessalonians is talking about as well. He's talking about not believing the truth, but, but believing in other things, looking to other things for hope. Strong delusions so they may believe what is false, it said in verse 11. They're condemned by not believing the truth but having pleasure in unrighteousness. Believing that unrighteousness and, and false ideologies will give them hope. And the second beast signs point to the validity of the first beast. And, and that, thing, that way of thinking, it results in the beast's rule. And we need to see that. We need to see that trusting in the world's ideologies results in beastliness. Look in verse 14. It says, By the signs that it's allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those. This is primarily talking about a false doctrine, a false kind of teaching. It deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image. What is that? Idolatry. Idolatry. Make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. It performs great signs and wonders and, and it's deceiving those who dwell on the earth. How does it do that? It does that through all manner, through false religions. So many people are deceived by looking to false religions for hope that proclaim hope where there is none. Hope in our performance. Hope in our abilities. Hope in the goodness of mankind. False ideas that, that Really, really the biggest false religion is is secularism that, that promotes hope apart from religion, but really in itself is religion. But that's not giving mankind hope. That's truly a beast. You pull back all these other religions, and they lead to death, they lead to the beast, the devil. You look to secularism, people look to for hope today and say the problem today is the world's religions, which really is another religion. And yet, where has secularism led us? It's led us to all manner of murder. It's estimated today that 250 million babies have been aborted, all in service of the God of secularism. If you look at the God of communism or socialism, how many millions Stalin killed, or people in Germany after World War I looked to Nazism for, for hope, hoping for rescue. People make idols out of the ideologies of the world, and they really are the beast. And we claim to be better in this country and the Western world, and it, it's just the beast. Today people worship things like abortion calls it calling it reproductive rights worship sexual immorality create an idol of sex and gender rights and they demand all people bow down to it and it leads to depravity and hopelessness it's the beast Then look at verse 15. It says, Allowed to give breath to the image of the beast. The image of the beast might even speak and cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. And it looks like these hopes, these things are life giving, but the reality is um, it will cause those who don't bow down to worship the image of the beast to be slain. And in verse 16, we see this interesting imagery here. It says, It causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead. So the hand, the place of transactions, it's marked on the hand doing business, marked on the head, the the thinking, the ideology. The first century, many of these seven churches that this letter was written to, they're being pressured to make, make a declaration of loyalty to Caesar, and in some of these cities, they had to get a writ or a decree that says that they had offered to Caesar, but by doing that, they are giving up their allegiance to Jesus in worshiping Caesar in order to be allowed to do business and participate in society. We see the seeds of that today. If you're doing business, you might be tempted to worship the world's ideologies and give in to them in order to transact business and to have people accept your business. But the cost of getting certificates like that is to deny faith and betray the Lord. And yet it's another way that the devil counterfeits God. You know, God is the one who seals. And we've seen that in Revelation already. And yet we see the beast trying to mark his people. They're marked either by the beast or marked by God. There's there's no, there's no gray area in the middle. Either you are marked by God, you're sealed by God, or you're sealed by the counterfeit God, the devil. If you're a believer here, you can be confident God's the one who seals his saints, marking them as his, making known those who belong to him and he keeps safe. You don't have to pursue the mark of the beast. You don't have to pursue the same ways of interacting and transacting with the world that the world does in order to be accepted. You don't have to agree with the world's ideologies in order to be accepted. You already are accepted in Christ, even if you're completely rejected because you reject the ways of the world. I love in Ephesians one thirteen. It says, and "In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with a promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee." What does that speak to? It speaks to the fact that we are tempted to think, if I don't act a certain way or speak a certain way or write a certain way or hide my beliefs or uh, accept what the world accepts, then then I'm going to miss out. I'm not going to get the wealth of the world. And the only inheritance we need to worry about is, is the one we have in him who is the guarantee of our true inheritance. He says, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Our true inheritance is not on this earth. And we're sealed until we acquire our true inheritance, which means we shouldn't be looking to this world as our inheritance. And that's tough, isn't it? Ephesians 4.30, Paul goes on to write, says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. If you look back to Revelation 7, the saints cannot be harmed because they are sealed, if you are a saint, you don't have to worry about whether or not you're going to take the mark of the beast. You have to be aware of, okay, I need to be aware. I'm not going to conform to the world, conform to the world's rulers. i do not to worship the world, the world's rulers. Conform to that ideology. But here's the good truth is that God has already placed a seal on you. Revelation 7, he commanded the angels, don't harm the earth or the seas or the trees until we have sealed the servants of God on their foreheads. But we see a counterfeit from the devil again. It may symbolically represent somebody's actions and thoughts being directed by the beast, showing who they ultimately belong to. You can tell a tree by its fruit. And and it appears that no one is able to make any money unless they have that mark, unless they do things like the world, unless they have that mark of the beast, unless they think like that. No one can buy or sell. Look in verse 17. No one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name. If you have the mark, the name, what is the name? A name is, it's the character of that beast. So if you bear the character of that beast in your, in your actions, in your thinking, is the only way that says that in that day, in the final day prior to the return of Jesus, that, that day when no one would be able to buy or sell unless they're participating in that system. And it's given power. And look at verse 18, it says, this calls for wisdom. It does. It does call for wisdom, for us to think and discern wisely about how we live, who we live for, where we look for hope. Do we look to salvation for the world's governments? Do we look to salvation for a world's leader? Do we, how do we interact and transact? Do we, do we think that we must, our hope lies in agreeing with the way that the world does things? And then we see, it says, let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast or it is the number of a man, or it could actually be read of man. And his number is 666. Now, I don't think we're actually meant to try to, to do math here and, and try to figure out the, what a lot of ancient Hebrews did, and they, they had weight to different numbers, and they tried to figure out, okay, different numbers for different letters and things like that. I, I don't believe that's just what's going on here, although there could be an allusion to Nero back in that day alluding say Nero is representative in that day in John's day of the beast, but I don't think we're meant to go through all of history and try to figure those things out. You know, at one point in time, I remember in the 80s, uh, somebody had come up with Ronald Wilson Reagan adds up to 666. Okay. How does that help me? How does that make clear something about Jesus and something about how I'm supposed to live? If it's not, then we're probably missing the point of the passage, Right? if it's making things more unclear and it's just tantalizing you, you're probably missing what that passage is really about. What that passage is really about is saying that it's it's 666, it's a a counter to, to seven in the perfection of Jesus. We've already seen that, that number of perfection, seven. And this is a three times unholiness, a three times imperfect, three times a six. It's imperfect, imperfect, imperfect compared to God's holy, holy, holy. I like the way the NIV puts it. NIV is more helpful in this passage. This calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast. For it is man's number. Oh, okay. It's, it's talking about unregenerate man persistently being evil. Never, no matter how much any world system or any ideology or any world's power says that they have the answer, they will always be unholy, incomplete, unable to save. Imperfect, imperfect, imperfect is what that number is meant to make us think of. Civilization without, civilization without Jesus Christ, it's, it's always evil and under the reign of the beast. And we need to calculate that. We need to understand that. We need to do that calculation to see that without Jesus, the world's government, the world's leaders, the world's systems, ways of thinking, it's, it's always evil and always evil declaring incomplete, incomplete, incomplete. We're meant to discern that number. It's beastly to hope and worldly leaders and powers and ideologies. Ultimately it's worship of the devil. That's what this curtain is revealing. It's pulling back this curtain. But you know what we skipped over something else in this passage. Anybody know what we skipped over? You can shout it out, it's okay. What do we skip over in this passage? We've skipped some verses in this passage. On purpose, but we skipped some verses in this passage. We skipped over the most important emphasis of this passage, I think, really. What this passage is meant to leave us with. You see, it's not ultimately about the beast. This passage is to reveal the the futility of following the world's government, systems, powers, and and ways of thinking. But it's ultimately meant to give us what? What did we say at the very beginning? Hope. Hope. It's meant to give us hope and endurance and faith. It says here, look at end of verse 10. Here is a call for what? For the endurance and faith of the saints. That's really one of the key verses of this entire passage. Here is a call. This passage is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. How? Endurance and faith in what? Well, go look in verse 8. And those whose name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And there's other hope and encouragement here. You see that what it's showing us is the true promise of salvation is in the Lamb. Not in these other things. Not in the world. The true promise of salvation, that's, that's our final kind of closing point today. It's in the promise of the Lamb. It's in the promise of salvation is, is in the Lamb. Now, look at verse 5. I want to show you something in verse 5, and it's all throughout this passage, really. Look at verse 5. It says, the beast, what? There's two words there. What does it say? And the beast, what are the two words? Next two words. You say it out loud. Was given. Oh. Hang on. Okay. If I find the beast was given something, and it's given something by the devil. And we know from Revelation that the devil is only able to do what is given to him to do, what he is allowed to do by God. This says, the beast was given a mouth. Oh, now look at, the, look, look at the latter half of verse 5. It says, and it was allowed. The beast is given. The beast is allowed to exercise authority. There's a theme that repeats throughout this whole chapter. In verse 7, look down at verse 7. If the beast was allowed to make war on the saints, and authority was given to it. You see the language of given and allowed. It's given, it's allowed, it's given, and it's allowed. Now look down at verse 14. It's allowed to work signs. Look in verse 15. It's allowed to give breath. What's being emphasized here? What, what, do, what do you think is the point of this passage here? What is it emphasizing? The, the power of the beast is not ultimate power. It's not ultimate authority. It is allowed. It is given for a time. It is under the direct sovereignty of God. We should not be surprised or afraid. Everything, even the beast, is under the authority of God, under His sovereignty, Earthly powers are only allowed to rule for a period of time as well. This is a, 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 the time of, of humanity, if you will. This 42 months here, same amount of time represented by time, a time and half the time we see in Revelation, over the 1260 days. It's three and a half years. It's not a full and complete period of time, but it's a long period of time, but it is, is designated, it's cut short by who? By God Himself. The time of the beast's ruling is limited, is shortened, is controlled by God ultimately. We need to have hope to endure and have faith ultimately in God because of that. The beast is only able to do what God, who this small, seemingly weak, insignificant church, the God of the small, insignificant, weak church, is not weak at all. He is the God who must allow. He's the God who limits. You know, in Matthew 28, we know who has true authority, right? In Matthew 28, it says, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. Whether on the earth or above the earth or under the earth. All authority has been given to me. So the beast might appear to have authority and have been given limited authority, but ultimately all that authority is under the authority of Christ. No matter what it may look like when the beast arises, Jesus is the risen Lord who reigns over all. Now look at verse 8, when Revelation refers to those who dwell on earth, it's always speaking of those who are earthly, whose true home is the earth. It's always in contrast to the people of God whose home is in heaven. Everyone whose name has not been written before, look in verse 8, the foundation of the world and the book of the life of the lamb that was slain will worship him. What is that also saying? Everyone who has been written in the book of life, in the book of the lamb that was slain will not worship I want you to see something from Ephesians 1, 4-7, because there's some language here in, in Revelation 13, 8. It says, his name has been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb that was slain. I want, you, I want you to pay attention to that. Christian, if you are a believer, there's something important for you to know. And Ephesians 1, 4 illuminates that. It says, even as he chose us in him, when, same language, before the foundation of the world. We should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood. He's talking about the blood of the lamb, the same exact language you see here in Revelation. I love 1 Peter 1. It brings even more clarity. He says, knowing you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited by your forefathers, not with the perishable things as silver or gold, not with money, Boy, the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown. It was foreknown who would be our true Savior, the lamb, and who was, would be written in his book of life of the lamb. Both were foreknown and made manifest in these last times for your sake who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are where in God. Is that where your faith and hope are? Everyone whose name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life will never be forgotten. If that's you, your place is secure. That's where your hope is. Your hope's not in the world's governments. Your hope is in the one who's over those governments. Your hope is, is, is not that you won't be killed. Because if God has so ordained you to be taken captive, as it says, that you'll be taken captive. If God's ordained you to be slain by the sword, you'll be slain by the sword. That's what it's saying. That's not fatalism, but it's saying you can trust God. Don't even be surprised if those things happen. Ultimately, God is the one who's over all of these things. This passage applies not just in John's day, not just in our day, but also in the future for the time when it will get even worse. The way you can tell who belongs to the beast and has their name written in the Lamb's Book of Life is by paying attention to who they truly worship. No government, no power, no ruler, no ideology brings salvation apart from Christ. Don't be deceived. Only those who worship the Lamb will endure. Hope and salvation, though, come from the Lord. Those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will conquer in John's day, in our day, and in the future. This is not fatalism, it's meant to be a call for the endurance and faith of the saints in the first century, in our day in the future no matter what happens if we're taken captive if we're slain we can we will endure and we're meant to have faith this is a call for endurance and faith this is not a call to get all wrapped up in figuring out numbers and who people are this is a call for endurance and faith what? in the fact that our name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life our hope is not in whether we're a member of a government role whether you're a member of any political party whether you are subscribed to any superior ideology, whether you belong to a certain world leader or whether you think a world leader will be your hope for salvation, that's not where our hope is. Our hope is in the sovereign God. Our hope is in belonging and being a member of the government of the Lamb who has already written down who was a member in the Lamb's book of life. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, your name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. If you're not sure, you can be sure. Place your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, your hope, your confidence for life in Jesus, and then you too can be sure that your name has been written in the land's book of life. But today, this is, it's meaningful for us. We shouldn't be surprised when worldly powers array themselves. You should not be worried when you read the news. Don't be fearful when you read about what's going on in the world around us. Don't be surprised when worldly powers array themselves against us as if, oh no, will Christianity last? Yes, absolutely. The beast is powerful. It's able to do harm. We're not meant to be foolish and think, oh yeah, the beast is no big deal. No, the beast is a big deal. It might kill some. It might put some in captivity. But even so, the saints of God will endure. It's, it's, It's far from being a passage that's meant to scare us and make us nervous. It's meant to give us peace. Meant to give us hope and confidence. No matter the greatness of the evil kingdom, we should not fear. God is sovereign, and our names are secure in him. He knows you by name, He knows exactly who you are, He knows everything about you. If you place your faith in him, he by name has placed you in his book. Our outcome and our place are secure. So let me ask you a few questions as we close, and I'll have the band come up in just a moment. What are you living for? What are you living for? Are you living for what will last? Are you living for something temporal? Are you living for a gain in this world that you think will bring you hope and salvation? Are you living for, for money, for riches, for fame, for fortune, for power? Are you living as if this world's governments are all important, as if who's in power right now is most important? And I'm not talking about checking out of the world. But I'm talking about not putting our hope in the world. Are we making our life about what is truly most important? If what is most important is one thing, whether your name is written in the Land's Book of Life, if that is what is most important, which is what this passage is saying, is that what you're living for? Are you living like that's the most important thing in your life? I don't say it to bring condemnation. I say it to reorient us, it. to point us back to Hope. He will be faithful to enable us to endure to the end. And let's renounce hoping in anything else. And live as if our hope is found in living for the Lamb alone, because our names are written in His Book of Life. Amen. Couldn't have the band come up and actually want to want to close if you can with in Christ alone, if we can do that one. Um, and if we have time, actually maybe even thank you for saving me. But won't we pray? God, would you help us where we have placed our hope and our confidence in other things. Where we have become worried or anxious about the things of the world. Where we've become fearful, God. We want to confess those things to you. And God, we want to thank you that our security, our hope is in you and you alone. God, I pray that you'd increase confidence. You would increase endurance and faith That's the goal of this passage. Lord, I pray that you would increase our ability to endure and have faith despite what goes on around us. And that, Lord, I pray that you would give us fresh faith to live for what truly matters most, to live for the fact that our names are written in your book of life and to live in response to that and let that be the thing that motivates how we interact with people too. God, I pray for all those who have not placed their faith and hope in you that you bring conviction and you reveal that having confidence in any other place, any other ideology, it's beastly and leads to death. And God, would you give the gift of repentance today so that all might truly hope in you, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, please stand listening together in Christ alone.